the future of business. Future of business. Future of business. More global and more decentralized. Making sure that enterprises are a lot more responsible. Smart cities. More collaboration. Consumer-driven productivity. Environmental and social responsibility. Global. Human-centered. Purposeful. Individualized. Automation. Big data. Climate change. Space exploration. Renewable energy. Information security. Exciting and digital. Hello and welcome to the Future of Business podcast. I'm your host, Alison MacArthur. Today we bring you the second in our two-part series on the future of business in Africa. In our last episode, you heard from leaders in the private and public sectors about the African Continental Free Trade Agreement. Today, we'll bring you more on the challenges and opportunities facing the continent as governments consider a more unified future. First, we'll hear from serial entrepreneur Eric Hersman about how technology and innovation can play a role. My name is Eric Hurstman. I'm uh, the CEO of Brick. So, though I don't look or sound like it, I, I did grow up in East Africa, in Sudan and Kenya, and then went to the U.S. for university, and then came back to Kenya with my first business. And uh, so, I've been deep in the technology sector in, in, in Kenya for a while, with uh, you know the founding of Ushahidi, the iHub, uh, Brick, Savannah Fund, uh, Gearbox, a number of different initiatives, and all those initiatives are really about how do we get the foundation set so that we can have more tech companies doing everything from hardware, you know, design and engineering, all the way through to just large-scale software startups. Uh, so I'm very tech-oriented, uh, but um, and today in today's work that I do with Brick, it's really about connectivity. I really think a lot about that. Mm-hmm. So the iHub is an innovation center for the tech community. How important do you think collaboration is for driving innovation forward? So, I mean, you, you teed that question up for me perfectly because I think um, that collaboration and, and connectivity is actually the, the glue for any, any, not even tech ecosystem, but business ecosystem to, to really accelerate and be catalyzed. So when we were building the iHub back in 2010, one of the big ideas was saying, hey, listen, we, you know, of course technology is already starting. It's already happening here, right? There's engineers building things. Um, but how do we take what's going to happen already over the next five years and accelerate it to three, right? So we just move faster. And the way you do that is you get people connected. You get ideas having babies with each other, right, with people talking with each other. Uh, you try and just make those spaces um, available to them so that they can, they can talk and, and you never know what's going to happen. So the serendipity of never knowing who you're going to run into but, but finding valuable links all the time is where these tech hubs really come in, in valuable. Um, think of them as a community commons, right, that everybody's welcome to for that community and you have a much better understanding of what a tech hub should be. And it seems, you know, we're certainly looking from the outside in um, that Africa is a continent of entrepreneurs in the sense that you just see people building businesses on, you know, from a tiny scale to a larger scale. Um, Have you experienced that from living there? And how important is this mindset? Yeah. So, I mean, I I think it's a different level across different countries. But, you know, there's a there's a great term that was coined for African entrepreneurs, which is uh, parallel entrepreneurs where people are always running multiple businesses, right? Everybody has a side hustle, right? Uh, even the, you know, the permanent secretary has a side hustle, right? <laughs> so everybody has something that they're doing. And I, I think that's kind of, it's in the DNA uh, of, of the entrepreneurism in the continent. 
And, um, and because of that, it, it's done because of de-risking, right? So if you have a couple things going, if something goes south on one of them, you can at least have other revenue coming in from other streams. So the reason why is interesting. But it also, it also means that, yeah, we have a great entrepreneurial uh, culture across many of the countries. Um, you know, sometimes they're, they're focused on really small businesses, like micro kind of businesses. But, you know, at least it's there. And, um, you know, and this is, you know, this is industriousness and ingenuity born of necessity. Yeah. Uh, this is, you know, I need to earn my bread. I need to be able to pay school fees. Yeah. Uh, it's not just because I want to do something cool. Or I want to be an entrepreneur to be my own boss. It's like, no, this is my only option, right? And uh, I think that can be valuable too. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you see as Africa's competitive advantage in terms of driving forward innovation? It's obviously a very young country and people are more tech savvy. So do you think that's, that's an advantage? You know, I, yeah, I do think that when you have uh, the youth bulge like we have, um, it's, it's interesting. You know, I was looking at some numbers recently and, you know, there's, there's no... Um, there's you know causation and correlation are not aligned here, but they're funny because the numbers are about the same. So um, we have uh, you know 1.2, 1.3 billion people on the continent, right? Uh, 450 of which um, are connected to the internet, which means about 800,000 are not. Um, if you look at those who are under the age of 25, it's about the same number, 800,000, sorry, 800 million, right? And you start saying, wow, that's a really interesting number. So the youth bulge is real. The technology access is still a little lopsided, but it will, it's changing rapidly. Um, so, you know, I think that the competitive advantage is going to come from how we learn to apply uh, Technology across multiple businesses, so it's a cross-cutting kind of thing, right? Across multiple businesses uh, to be uh, accessible by these youth, right? Because so our, in our network in, in, in Kenya and Rwanda, we have 500,000 monthly active unique users, five million sessions a month. It's going, it's growing rapidly. Um, the first thing people want to do when they get access to the internet is, you know, WhatsApp, so comms with family and friends. The second thing they want to do is entertainment. You know, YouTube is the, the primary source. And the third thing is look for jobs and in ways that they can do commerce on their own, right? And so I think the youth of the continent uh, getting access to that, having a low friction way to get into the internet and be able to do things like that will have a massive effect across, um, yeah, across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, um, there's been a lot of talk around uh, sort of uh, obviously with her microfinance, but also impact investing as a way to uh, facilitate economic development in Africa. I think on a global scale, like people are very aware of the economic potential of the continent. Um, how important do you think it is to develop new innovative financing models to reach different businesses? Well, I think it's 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 always valuable to do that. It's always, I mean, I th- and I think. Africa is probably one of the better places to to try some new stuff. I think it's a great because it's so hard to do some things. It's actually a really great testing grounds for new things. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that we didn't talk about earlier, but I think is is really important as we talk about competitive advantage, is actually lack of regulation. Mm-hmm. Like this overregulation you get in the West uh, prohibits some innovation to happen, right? And I think the, the lack of, of, of overregulation can be a, a competitive advantage in African uh, countries so that you can try new businesses and new business models um, you know, and, and hopefully try something that will, will work at a large scale across you know, multiple countries. Next, we spoke with Kola Adesina, Group Managing Director at Sahara Group, a multinational energy and infrastructure conglomerate operating in over 38 countries. 
on the global stage, um, what do you see as Africa's position in the world uh, in the future? Um, I, I, if there is anything that I'm a bit sentimentally attached to each time I see it, and I see it almost every day of my life, is the map of Africa. Um, if you look at the map of Africa tilted the other way, it looks like a gun. And um, if you are the gun, uh, you know what that means. It means that everything in terms of greatness and opportunity, they are here for the world to enjoy. China is rapidly investing in Africa and forging new relationships, not because of anything, but because of the market. Uh, China is shrinking because of their population control methods and the rest of them, which is not making them grow as much as they should. Um, but Africa is still growing. <laughs> We're still exploding by way of population. So the market will remain readily there. And because we are still at the infancy stage of development, it invariably means that the opportunity is available for companies with products and services that can help the cause of Africa for us to truly grow and identify with the world in terms of the enablers of success that mm -hmm. uh, the rest of the world has. Uh, the products being manufactured in Japan today end up in Africa. Products being manufactured in Germany is in Africa. So if Africa is a, a margin market, is a place for you to sell your commodity, that's the place to be. Africa has value uh, to the rest of the world in terms of uh, the market size. Equally in terms of education, a lot of Africans travel abroad to Oxford, Cambridge and the rest of them to acquire knowledge. So invariably we are equally uh, spreading our tentacles around to acquire the knowledge today's economy uh, require. Africa is the place to be. Absolutely. So I think, um, so you've been involved in acting as a mentor to young entrepreneurs. Yeah. Why do you think it's so important to involve young people in business? Uh, well, if you look at uh, the demographics um, of Africa uh, today, you'll see that the population of uh, the youth population is growing uh, almost twice as much than in the last 20 years. Um, good quality health care is helping, so people are staying alive. So if we are going to die, we're, going to, we're not going to live forever. We need to hand over the button to somebody. And we are deliberately uh, crafting policies to help that next generation acquire the skill sets and competencies needed to run uh, the system uh, better than we met it. Uh, the theater of competition will continuously remain uh, making things better, making it cheaper and doing it faster. This generation has learned uh, the microwave concept of knowledge and I'm sure that they will anchor on that to make uh, our future better than it is today. So it makes sense for me to share what I know uh, with the younger generation and learn from them as well whilst I'm still alive so that I can be better than who I was some 10 minutes ago. So it's a simple relationship. Yeah, the learning plays both yeah, ways. Yeah. I think that's a really nice uh, point to end on. So Mr. Adesina, it's a pleasure you. to talk with you. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Before we go, we'd like to bring you the second part of our interview with Dr. Vera Songwe, Executive Secretary for the UN Economic Commission for Africa. In her remarks at this year's Oxford Business Forum Africa, Dr. Songwei spoke about the important role that women must play in building a better Africa and a better world. Songwei was the first woman to hold her position at the United Nations and was previously listed by the Africa Business Review as one of the top 10 female business leaders in Africa. 
we asked Dr Songwei why it's important for women to seek senior positions on the world stage. There have been a lot of studies that show that when you have women in leadership, uh, the policies that are put in place are more favourable um, for equitable and sustainable development. So I think that is the first thing, is that you can help ensure that you know there's more gender parity and secondly it's just the visibility i think the world and particularly our continent still needs women to be visible so that you know you can give uh, uh, the younger girls that are coming up the encouragement and the, the the ability to think that they too can do it and finally i think we have seen across the world that when women are in organizations the organizations are more profitable they are more innovative and so my sense is that hopefully that we can bring all this to bay on our institutions. I must say that the Secretary General of the United Nations has already reached parity at the sort of senior level. We have 50-50 now with the women and we're trying to ensure that. So we're proud as the UN to be one of the institutions that has parity. But it's, once you have parity at the top levels, because what we see with, with, with sort of gender empowerment is the fact that you, know, you need to build a bench you must build the bench because otherwise then with two, if two people leave, then you go from 50% to 30% very quickly. So you really need to build a bench and, and you can sort of continue to, to, to ensure that people come. And that starts with mentoring and creating and ensuring that there is more women at every level of the system that can you know, ensure and that are very performing. And you know, as women, we work twice as hard and we continue to work twice as hard. By the time we get to work, we've done you know, three jobs already, and, uh, you know, so I think uh, it's visibility, it's the privilege to be able to then mentor a few more so that uh, we have a lot more that come up as we see. Yeah, and certainly it was was really inspiring to see you up Mm -hmm. on stage, and I know for a lot of women in the audience, they would have felt exactly the same thing. What advice would you give to women who want to make a change and want to make their voices heard on a a, uh, higher level? Be persistent. Uh, uh, work really hard be extremely prepared because you know we we always have to sort of earn the stage we are never given the stage and you can't earn it if you're not prepared you can't earn it if you're not resilient you may not get it the first time but you have to keep trying if you believe in the idea then you know you must continue with it because the minute you decide that you're going to stop believing in the idea, you've not only failed yourself but you fail all the other women that are behind you. And fail, you know, believing and not succeeding the first time just requires you to become even stronger, even more sturdy, and to go back and work a little bit harder. I think there is proof. There is enough proof now that working sufficiently hard, you know, harder than maybe the rest, but that should not be a cause for complaint. It should be a cause for saying, you know, I can do this and I can get further. So really ensuring that you can work. But look around you, bring other people along with you as you do that, and then, you know, be grateful for the support that you have from friends and family and, and you know, mentors and managers and, you know, good leaders that you have ahead of you. Dr. Songwei, thank you very much for joining us. It was very inspirational. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you for having me. And thank you for joining us this week. We hope you've enjoyed our series on the future of Africa and that you'll join us in two weeks' time for another exciting episode of the Future of Business podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate us. And as always, if you have any thoughts on the podcast, you can email us at sbspodcasts at sbs.ox.ac.uk.